Welcome to this endo life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. This episode is sponsored by my Ease Endo Tea Challenge, which starts on Monday the 10th of January. January can often be the hardest time for those of us with endo. The joys and delights of December for many menstruators can cause problems hormonally come January. And for those of us with endo, it can be even more problematic. But rather than regretting any indulgences, I want us to be thankful that we had them and instead move on to what we can do to get our hormones back into balance and our endo back under control. In this four-week challenge, you will use four different types of simple teas to ease your endo symptoms. Each week, you'll learn about a new herb or spice and the benefits for endometriosis and exactly the symptoms they're reducing why. We'll look at some of the root causes of your symptoms and how these wonder herbs and spices can help you to tackle them. Now, clearly, just drinking tea is not the entire solution to managing endo, but this challenge is designed to ease you into the new year and into managing your endo symptoms with some quick hacks that will get you back on track so you can build back up your energy and your health and move into the rest of the year with the motivation and well-being to manage your endo. In this challenge, we'll be reducing pelvic pain and inflammation, bloating, abdominal pain and digestive discomfort, hormonal symptoms like heavy periods, PMS and low moods, and fatigue and brain fog. The Ease Endo Tea Challenge is perfect for anyone who is new to managing endo holistically and naturally, or anyone who wants some help recovering from any Christmas-induced flares, 
or anyone who simply just wants to begin the new year with some extra tips and tricks for managing endo. As I said, the challenge kicks off on Monday the 10th, but you can you can join at any time. To sign up, just click the link in the show notes and register. I'm looking forward to getting cozy and drinking tea with you all. Oh, and P.S. The teas won't be provided, but they are affordable. The challenge is free, but the teas you'll have to go and buy. They should in total cost between five to ten pounds, depending on the brands you choose. And many are kitchen staples that you can pick up in the supermarket for a pound on the spice aisle, or you might already have in your cupboard. So it might be completely free for you. Okay, that's it. Let's get to the show. So following on from last week, where I shared the most effective strategies that I've tried from the past seven years of managing endo, today I want to share what I do on my period to avoid a pain flare. Essentially, what I do on my period that allows me to experience either low pain levels or no pain at all. And if for some reason my levels do start to creep up, how I get them back down quickly and prevent them from getting worse. So ideally go back to last week's episode if you haven't listened to it already, but for context, before I started managing my endometriosis, my periods were excruciating. I would take painkillers upon painkillers with little to like no relief at all. And I couldn't stand, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't walk, I couldn't eat, I could barely talk. Pretty much I just, I couldn't do anything except to just, I just existed as this sort of pain ball, basically. But over the years, as I've come to train as an endometriosis health coach and to experiment myself, I have been able to pull together essentially a toolbox of strategies that I always go to on my period. To be clear, for me, managing endometriosis is something that I do all cycle long, because if I don't, the tools that I'm going to share today just aren't as effective and my pain is worse. But a combination of month-long strategies like anti-inflammatory eating and physiotherapy, for example, plus these tools on day one of my cycle really guarantee me the best results. Now, for years and years, I suffered with period pain that on a pain scale of 1 to 10 was a 12. Now, my periods are at a 0 to 3 on the pain scale and a bad period would be seeing them creep up to around a 5, which usually only happens very temporarily when I know that something's particularly triggered me that month and using the strategies listed, my levels return back to normal. Now, I want to be clear that we're all different. You may have to play around for a few cycles to work out what you respond to or or longer. It may take you a couple of months or longer to lower your inflammation overall you may need different tools and strategies. So please don't give up if you don't have relief straight away. This episode is here to inspire and motivate you, but ultimately it's my personal protocol and you'll need to work out what yours looks like too. So now you have a bit of background and context, let's get started. So once I actually see fresh blood as opposed to spotting or light pink or brown discharge, and you'll understand why this is important uh, in shortly, that's when I bring in my main go-tos. As you all may know, I usually take a handful of anti-inflammatory supplements each month, and normally I will stagger these throughout the day. When I am due on, however, I wait until my period starts and then take them all at once. 
at the moment, I'm taking quercetin, glutathione, which is a potent antioxidant, and omega-3 fish oil. But I vary them up depending on what I need and if I'm on a specific healing protocol for, say, SIBO or histamine. Taking them all together gives me a dose of anti-inflammatory antioxidants that can start lowering any inflammation which comes with menstruation and in turn can help lower pain. Sometimes I don't take the whole dose in one go, but instead I split the supplements into two doses. So at the moment I take two glutathione a day, two omega-3 capsules and six quercetin. And so when I see the fresh blood, I may take half of that. And then a few hours later, if I feel the pain creeping in, I take them again. The reason why I do this is because I've noticed a pattern in my bleeding. If I'm going to get any pain, it's going to be when I first see the fresh red blood, because that's when the inflammation and the inflammatory chemicals are doing their job to cramp the uterus up and shed the uterine lining. Then things calm down, and I would say about five hours later, I get another flow of fresh red blood. And if I am going to get any pain, that would be when the second wave comes. So when I'm shedding blood again, and so I may save my other dose for then. The other things I do when I start bleeding is that I immediately put on my BU patches, one on the front of my pelvis and one on the back. And these release natural essential oils selected for their antispasmodic properties. Essentially, they reduce cramps. Once that's in place, once I've got the stickers on, I pretty much soak my pelvis and sometimes my lower back, if, it, if it's a little achy there, with magnesium spray. Magnesium helps to reduce period pain, but also relaxes muscles and reduces cramping and inhibits inflammatory chemical prostaglandin E2, which is a natural inflammatory chemical in our body. Now, a very quick science lesson. I talk about this in more depth in other podcast episodes and in my, in my courses, etc. But essentially, inflammatory chemicals like histamines and prostaglandin E2 cause the smooth muscle of the uterus to contract, helping to shift the lining that we need to shed. That's totally normal. However, when we have too many of these chemicals, it causes too much inflammation and cramping, and therefore we get pain. Research has found that people with endo have high levels of histamines and high levels of prostaglandin E2 in the pelvic cavity and menstrual blood. Research also shows that people with dysmenorrhea or painful periods have high levels of prostaglandin E2 in their menstrual blood as well. So what I'm doing here is essentially trying to lower the levels of inflammation and cramping. Now, I do this all month long by adopting an anti-inflammatory diet and lifestyle and by avoiding things that raise prostaglandin E2 levels like refined vegetable oils, processed foods and too much sugar and adding in practices that lower their levels like eating a diet rich in antioxidants and omega-3 fatty acids and utilizing supplements and tools like magnesium baths. But back to what I do on my actual period, within minutes of using all of these tools, any cramping I may feel creeping in dissolves or reduces greatly. And if I had none at all in the first place, I just saw the blood, I will still always do all of this, whether I have pain or not. And if I have none at all, this usually keeps it that way. Once those bits have been done, I or my boyfriend make a ginger tea. 
Ginger root powder is naturally anti-inflammatory, is an effective pain reliever, and has been shown to alleviate period pain when taken for the first three days of the cycle. The studies range between 1,000 milligrams to 2,000 milligrams a day for period pain, and it's safe to go to 2,000 milligrams generally. I divide this dose across several teas if I'm not taking it in supplement form. You shouldn't take too much ginger in one go as it can cause diarrhea. So you'll find that most supplements and studies dose at about 250 milligrams to 400 or 500 milligrams at any one time. I tend to go for 250 milligrams of dried ginger root powder per tea. I used to do higher, but it was just too spicy for me. So I now drink less of it, but I drink it more frequently on day one. If I have them in the house, I will also add turmeric and cinnamon, which both have anti-inflammatory properties and cinnamon helps to alleviate heavy menstrual bleeding as well. I have to be a bit cautious with cinnamon because of my histamine intolerance, but I tend to allow it on my period as I usually only have it one day and I don't really notice the effects from just those, you know, a couple of teas. I'll link in the show notes to a latte recipe, which includes ginger, turmeric, and cinnamon. So if you want to try that combination, you can. So I drink that. And at the same time as we're already boiling the kettle, I may also get a hot water bottle, which I'll use for about 30 minutes. As any longer can maybe worsen the cramping because the blood vessels begin to restrict. There's, there's some debate and research around that. So I just kind of, I'm careful and I just use it for 30 minutes. I don't love using hot water bottles. So I only really use them if I need the comfort or if I feel like I need an extra tool to help the cramping from increasing. And actually what I do want to do is get an infrared sauna belt um, because that lowers inflammation and it still, it heats the abdomen as well. There's so many benefits of infrared sauna. So, um, I want to get that at some point. It's just, I have other things to pay for. It hasn't been a priority. So when I get that, I'll use that over a hot water bottle. As I mentioned earlier, usually I'm pain-free or very low pain. And there are numerous factors that allow me to live with endo in this way. And I know from experience that if I didn't use these strategies, these are like my go-to like initial strategies, my pain would usually increase or would last longer. So once I've done that, next up is movement and posture. I've noticed that if I am in that point where I'm bleeding freely, that point that I mentioned earlier, where, you know, if I'm going to be in pain, it's going to be then, that if I'm lying down, then the cramps can sometimes worsen. I think this is very likely due to my body having to work harder to move the blood out. And so I start to cramp more naturally to get that blood to shift. It could also be that lying down, I don't have much else to focus on except for the sensation. And so I pay more attention to it. I get scared that it might get worse. My brain feels unsafe and then it sends danger signals. And then of course the brain responds by increasing pain. So that's naturally how pain signals work. And if you want to learn more about how that works in detail, I've linked to an episode in the show notes. So it could be either of those or both. But either way, I find that if I want to relax in bed, that sitting up or at least propped up helps to reduce the chances of this happening. And if it has already happened, it tends to reduce those cramps down again fairly quickly, 
which is why I think it's more to do with the body having to work harder to shift the blood out because lying down has slowed the flow. If I still don't feel very comfortable sitting up, say the cramping has continued, then I'll move around. I find that when I'm moving out of choice rather than force, so I've chosen to get out of bed and move around versus I have to get up and catch a train to a meeting, then the movement is very helpful and tends to support my menstrual flow and eases the cramping. A walk around the house, yoga for endometriosis and period pain, or a walk outside if I'm up to it, tend to ease the cramps. The exception being is if I'm stuck out for some reason, I'm tired and I don't have any of my tools with me, that kind of scenario would increase my pain. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. This leads me on to my next strategy. As much as I can, I love to rest on the first day of my period. If I can fit it into my schedule, day one of my period will be the one day of the month that I allow myself to sit in bed all day and just watch rom-coms and chick flicks. And I'm going to say something that might sound strange to you and I hope it doesn't anger or upset you because please remember that I once suffered with horrific pain too. But I actually look forward to my period now. I know my period will hopefully involve a bath and a day in bed watching light-hearted films and series, all guilt-free. I usually watch some of my favourites, like period dramas or a classic rom-com like Notting Hill. And in short, it's just a very stereotypical, like quote-unquote, girly day. And I love it. I don't often do these things and it's just very indulgent, comforting and like a returning to myself because I get to pause. And I found that if I don't do this, I end up dragging myself through my period and coming out the other end of it exhausted. Your period is when your hormones are at their lowest. Your hormones help with energy, neurotransmitter production and a heap of other functions in your body. You quite literally have less energy, less happy hormones and less of a drive to socialise on your period as a result. Not to mention you're using up energy and nutrients in the process of bleeding, including losing iron and magnesium, two essential nutrients for energy production, so you're more likely to be tired. When we push through the lowest hormone days, one to three being the lowest, we are stressing our body and forcing it to function off cortisol and adrenaline to get us through because it knows it needs to meet demands that it doesn't have the physical resources to meet and that triggers the stress response. It's no wonder then that if I don't allow even a little bit of rest, I feel burnt out that month, which is the inevitable result of getting by on cortisol and adrenaline. Now clearly, I have the privilege of working for myself and I also don't have children to look after. So I appreciate that most of you have to go to work and some of you have people depending on you. And I get that. For many years, I was an employee working with vulnerable homeless young people who I couldn't let down. I would drag myself to work in really whatever state that I was in. 
And these days it's a bit different, but I still have commitments. I see clients every week. So if my period falls on a day when I have one or two clients, I will see them and rest afterwards or beforehand. And I'll push everything else to the next day. If I know ahead that I have a really busy day of clients, I will move some of them around in advance if I can. It's worth stating here that the only way I am able to do this is by tracking my period and ensuring that I know which day I'm due on or as close to as possible. Back when I wasn't tracking my period, I'd be taken by surprise every single time. And obviously I wouldn't want to cancel on clients last minute. So I will reschedule people in advance if there's room to do that. Anyway, back to the point. Strangely, I don't have to rearrange my days too often as the universe always seems to organize it that my clients ask to swap a day or my period falls on an admin day or a day when I don't have too many sessions. So it's not normally an issue, but if I want to have that space and I have like a lot of clients, like I have four or five clients, then I'll see if one or two of them can move to the next day or the day before. Like I said, if I do have a day with a few clients and I haven't moved them, I'll rest up as much as possible between calls or afterwards. And I'll also try to take some time out the next day so that I can squeeze in a full day's day of rest in total. If that fails and for some reason I'm unable to take any time out, say when I'm in a course launch, then I'll take a weekend a day out to rest. For those of you who work for a company, perhaps you can talk to your managers about about arranging it so that you can work from home on day one of your cycle. Having endometriosis means you're legally entitled to reasonable adjustments at work, even though it's not classified as a disability. So for example, when I worked at Centerpoint, I could work from home on day one of my cycle and the other days of my period, I could come in later and leave earlier. And I would make up for that time at other points in my cycle. Though honestly, I don't think they even expected me to do that, but I just chose to do it. If you're not sure what you're legally entitled to, have a listen to my episode with Claire from See Her Thrive, which is all about this topic. Now, of course, if you have children, I understand that this might be totally unrealistic and I'm not sharing this info about what I do for you guys to replicate it at all anyway. Instead, I hope it inspires you to carve out some kind of rest or time out that works for you and your lifestyle on day one or as near to as possible. It could be having five minutes to yourself before your children wake up or it could be that your partner takes the baby for half an hour whilst you lie down Or if you're a single parent, maybe this is a day when your friend or your own parent might be able to give you a helping hand so that you don't have to juggle everything alone. I don't know what will work for you, but I'm sharing what works for me and I hope that perhaps it will help you discover what works for you in turn. So my next strategy is an Epsom salt bath. Yes, I rave about these and with good reason. Research shows that having a bath two or three, two to three times a week with 500 grams to 600 grams of Epsom salts for 10 to 30 minutes reverses magnesium deficiency. Now here's the thing. Most of us are deficient in magnesium, especially people who menstruate or who experience frequent stress, which let's be honest, is probably most of us as living with a chronic illness can be stressful. Both of these scenarios deplete magnesium. And as I mentioned earlier, magnesium is not only anti-inflammatory, but it reduces muscle cramping, has been shown to reduce period pain and PMS, is essential for healthy hormone balance, 
energy production and helps to stabilize blood sugar. All important for managing endo and for aiding in energy and pain relief on our period. So on my period, I try my best to make time for a bath, even if it's just 10 minutes, to soak up that magnesium and help to relieve the tension from my muscles and my uterus and to restore my energy levels. I also have a couple of baths in the lead up to my period to help prevent my cramps being bad on my actual period. If you don't have a bath, you can do this with a foot soak or you can actually get inflatable baths, fold out baths and plastic bathtubs online that you can just store away. So you could always try that. The benefit of soaking in the bath on your period as well is that heat actually works as a pain therapy too. My final strategy is how I eat on my period. As you learned last week, once upon a time, I used to fast on day one of my period. I would now never do that given how much energy we need for day one of our cycle. Then when I started being able to eat on my period, I moved to more keto-based meals on day one to avoid a blood sugar spike, which would lead to a pain flare on my period. Now I seem to have a better stability with my blood sugar. And so I can eat meals with a normal amount of carbs, but I just ensure that meal is blood sugar balancing as much as possible. So fat, fiber, protein, and complex carbs. I do actually still ease up a bit on the fiber. So I tend to have more low FODMAP veggies on day one, just because we are already prone to having loose stools or diarrhea on our periods because the prostaglandins also cause a colon to count to cramp and contract. And as I have SIBO, if I aggravate that with fiber, the situation just gets worse and I can get intestinal inflammation and further cramping, causing me more pain and more IBS trouble. So I generally just try to ease up on the fiber on that day. I also add in a few extra blood sugar hacks now that I'm eating more carbs on my period, just to avoid any spikes. So I have a tablespoon of vinegar in water before I eat, which has been shown to reduce blood sugar spikes. And I eat my veggies first or try to have a side salad first and eat my starches last in a meal, which has again been shown to reduce blood sugar spikes because the fiber from the veggies delays the glucose release. And just to credit her, this info is from the incredible biochemist Glucose Goddess. I've put a link to her um, Instagram in the show notes. I also walk around the house for 10 minutes after a meal or just move gently on the spot, which helps to use up any excess glucose, preventing a spike. I have found that using these hacks on day one of my period really allow me to eat more comfort food like a pasta or something carby without having a pain flare, which is huge for me because I've never been able to do this before. If you want to understand this process in more detail, have a listen to last week's episode and another episode that I'm going to link to about blood sugar in the show notes. And it's definitely worth checking out the glucose goddess. So that's it. That's everything I do on my period to prevent a pain flare or to reduce pain if I have any. Usually these practices keep me pain-free or at a low level, but if for some reason it creeps back up or creeps in, I double down on these and I repeat some of the processes like spraying magnesium, drinking tea, applying a new patch or taking some more supplements. And if I really need to, I'll take a paracetamol. Usually I just need one and that's enough to nip it in the bud and then I basically forget that I'm on my period. Now, of course, what works for me may not work for you because we're all different. 
This period protocol has been created after years of experimenting and training as an endo health coach, and I've adapted it over the years as my endometriosis has changed and evolved. If you'd like to create your own protocol, I really recommend going over some of the previous podcasts and articles for further research and information. And of course, I have the masterclasses and my course Live in Fragile Endo. Remember, please consult your doctor before taking any supplements or making any dietary changes. And I wish you the best of luck with creating your own period pain toolkit. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.